This is a show for missionary disciples who worship Christ in the Eucharist and serve him and their neighbor, for whom the words of the creed reverberate through their daily activity. This is a show for those like you and me who make the conscious choice to follow Christ outside the walls. We're talking today with John Mark Grode. I, uh, he is moving up in the world. He is now the host uh, of The Journey Home on EWTN. He's long been the executive director of the Coming Home Network, uh, founded by your father, John, uh, Marcus Grodi. Um, many of you are familiar with his work. Uh, I've had the pleasure of being out to Zanesville, Ohio, a couple of times to be on the show, uh, and very glad to have you here with us. Of course, you've been on my show a couple of times, and we're just keeping the ball rolling, right? Yeah. Great to be back with you, TL. One of the other things you've done for a while, you have your own uh program before you took over the journey home called uh, Deep in Christ. That's a kind of a video blog, uh, video podcast. Uh, you've gone through a number of episodes, many of them with your brother, who's a priest, mm-hmm. and talking about the virtues. And I want to spend some time with you today talking specifically about the virtues in a way that maybe many of us haven't considered. And we know the virtues, we've said them in our list at catechism when we went through Sunday school or, or maybe back in some of you who've been around for a while, you remember the old book, uh, the book of virtues, which was a, a, a Protestant take on how to live a virtuous life. Of course, virtues aren't primarily or, or uniquely a Catholic thing. We've been talking about the virtues since, uh, since the Greeks, you know, Plato and, and Aristotle were well-versed on the virtues and, and extolling them. But I want to look at them uh, maybe with fresh eyes, because oftentimes uh, in the conversations I've had with other people, as people, as we look at the virtues, we tend to superimpose our own context in our own life and say, well, these are the ways that I emulate the virtues, rather maybe using our own lives as the standard, rather than looking to the virtues as this rule uh, for us to measure up against. And so let's talk about the virtues, and let's start with your fascination with them. Where, <laughs> obviously, you've spent a lot of time with him. You've read over uh, read over multiple books, hosted multiple shows. Uh, how did you first become interested in the virtues at the level that you are today? Yeah, that's a great question. And you know, it actually for me, it it really comes down to what you said. I I was interested in the virtues because I was in a, a men's group, and we had spent a number of years talking about. Uh, marriage and fatherhood and our, our good and bad habits and what we were working on. And, and I just noticed we weren't growing much. And I, w- I wanted to understand more, like, what does it, what does it look like? What does it mean? How do we, how do I make some real change in the areas of my life that I know that I need to, as I follow Christ? Uh, and so the virtues were an obvious topic. I, I didn't know much about, I wanted to get into, but one thing became real clear as I dug into the virtues. It's funny, you brought up the, the book of virtues by Ed Bennett, I think is the author or the, yeah. the compiler, which is a wonderful book. I love that. I had it when I was a kid. You know, we, we wore out the copy, you know, beautiful collection of poems and stories and, and anecdotes. But it's funny, that book kind of contributes to, I think, a, a false sense of what the virtues are. And like many resources on the virtues do, which is that the virtues are presented to us often as sort of a, a disconnected, disjointed pile of qualities. Okay, now you, you mentioned you know, that maybe hopefully people... Uh, knew the the cardinal list and the theological list in their catechism, but many people don't. I, I've asked many groups as I've, as I've talked to them, then they can't name all the virtues. And, and even if they can, they can't name them 
or talk about them or think about them in any sort of ordered framework. And, and if they're presented to people as they often are in the midst of much larger lists of all kinds of different qualities, you know, virtues or sub-virtues or pseudo-virtues, they don't really bat an eye because, again, the virtues are presented to us as basically just this, this never-ending list of qualities, right? But the doctrine of the virtues that we receive, you know, we, we received from the Greeks and we developed and we, I think, brought to fulfillment in uh, our Christian faith is really a framework, a very, a very um, actually simple framework for understanding our, our, our human personhood as body and soul and mind, you know, the whole, the whole psycho-spiritual psych, uh, existence as a human being. The virtues aren't just a never-ending pile of qualities. They're actually a picture of what it means to be a full and whole human being, and then thus the various ways that, that, that we fall short. And so the cardinal list, again, the, the cardinal list of virtues, cardinal virtues, um, prudence, justice, fortitude, temperance, if you really dig into those, and again, my 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 go-to guy on this is Joseph Pieper, who, who is of course, um, you know, a, a big student of, yeah. of Thomas Aquinas. He has the best book that I've found on this, and and one thing that he really points out is that uh, is the preeminence of prudence. Um, I think that's one that's missing often from the list too. That we we again we don't we're not presented with the virtues in a way that gives us an image of ourselves, a way to apply it to ourselves, to understand, analyze ourselves. Um, that's really what what's unique about that doctrine. And um, another aspect of it that I think is really important um, is it's presented as something extra. Like some people are into the virtues. It comes up sometimes. But again, the doctrine of the virtues really gives us a way of evaluating all of our human actions. You know, that every, every action or inaction, as we, you know, as we say in the Mass, right, what I've done, what I've, my thoughts and my words, what I've done, what I've failed to do, when we examine our day, we look back through our day, the virtues give us a way of looking at you know, all of our habits, all of our movements, and making some sense of them in a way that we're able to bring to confession, bring to God, uh, and on a human level, working with God's grace, uh, able to move forward with. So we're, we're going to take like five steps back because you, yes. you got into the good meat here. <laughs> The, you were you were working with this men's group. You weren't seeing yeah. any progress, and you're like, "Hmm, we're going to start looking at the virtues in a new way." So yeah. you began mm. to do this reading. Yeah. One of the the symptoms that you said that drove you to the study of the virtues is that you weren't making any progress. Mm. So let's do a before and after. Then <laughs> now that now that you have been reading on the virtues and interacting with others. Uh, specifically in your your accountability kind of sphere mm-hmm. on the question of virtues, what what progress have you seen? What, Gone from like a four many, to a six. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, we often mm-hmm. we we I grew up uh, in the in the age of the self help book, right? Mm-hmm. So there's this thought that if I just do enough reading or do enough study. Yeah. I'm going to be able to pull myself up by my bootstraps with my, you know, my uncle Pelagius, right? Um, and and I'm anticipating that you're going to talk about your encounter with the virtues as being uh, a cooperation with God in a way that is less your own bootstraps uh, and more of His grace. Absolutely, absolutely. In fact, I I think that's you know the significance of those two lists cardinal virtues and theological virtues. For the Christian, the Christian has the full picture. Uh, I think, you know, we have, actually, I think we, 
I won't name names, but I have I, I have in mind some um, intellectuals of, of our time who seem to me good, basically good Stoic dudes um, in our world today that we're familiar with. But and and on the level of the cardinal virtues, on the human virtues, they probably have a lot of them. But they're 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 having to work so hard, like they're they're struggling so hard to live this life without Christ. And I think we we have the good news in, in Christianity that. Um, we do need to live out the virtues, but we're living them in the context of grace. And because we're able to consciously engage that and enter into that and and plant our life firmly on that reality, that it's all grace, and thus we have to remain rooted in prayer before everything else. We have to to uh, to draw from the sacraments from God's grace. We're able to. Um, I mean, again, yeah, yeah, it gets dicey when we talk about progress because progress is still in, in the end, it's God's business. My my business is daily fidelity to God. Um, and his, it's his business, you know, what that looks like in terms of progress in my life, whatever I, I think that's going to look like. But, um, but we're able to proceed in that path of of self knowledge and uh, trying to live out our vocations, live out our responsibilities, work on our habits in the context of a, of grace. You know, not with hands clenched, you know, thinking uh, anxiously that this is this is all up to me, but at, from a place of peace. Christ has won the victory. He gives me the grace. He gives me the daily bread, what I need for today. And then my business is simply to try to lift out today faithfully to him. Mm -hmm. You talk about the virtues as being a framework, and I want to spend some time looking at virtues in a different light. Mm -hmm. Um, Because going back to the the book of virtues, these kind of disjointed, positive character traits that we all want to have idea— isn't really compatible with the Christian understanding of virtue. And Christian Smith, who is a a professor at the University of Notre Dame, has done a lot of work on sociology and just kind of the cultural milieu. And he came up with this term in a book he wrote a number of years ago uh, called therapeutic moral deism. This idea that that many people who claim to be Christians and who grew up in a Christian environment and many of those people who we see now transitioning into the— the category of non-religious or the nuns. Yeah. They grew up with this idea that Christianity or, or even God was there to uh, to make us feel good about ourselves and to give us a moral framework of how we should live. And so therefore he's just kind of he's kind of out there. Mm-hmm. And and this framework, this self-help religion that we're part of, is going to make us uh, feel better about being human. And I think that even though we can look at that and point at it and say that idea seems a little off, we're often swept up into it because it's it's part of our culture to be that way. Mm. And so I think we have kind of some stains or some uh, cross-pollination from that concept, mm-hmm. even in some pockets of Catholicism, that if I'm if I just go to confession enough, if I just do the right things almost in a kind of a scrupulous way, if I do mm-hmm. these things correctly, then all of a sudden um, my life will be better. And the virtues call us into a different way of viewing the world. It's not yeah. just the thing that we inhabit, but it's the way of viewing the world. Yeah. So from that lens, how do we move from one sphere and one view, one lens, into this way that's far older to mm-hmm. help us get a stronger sense of what it means to be in relationship with God exhibited through the virtues. Yeah. 
I mean, first, a, a quick note about the therapeutic moral deism. Moral deism. Um, I, <laughs> a pattern I've noticed in my own life is that, in, in some sense, there is a there's an ongoing winnowing of that. I think in every spiritual life, right? So I've noticed this myself that um, I'm going through a difficult time, usually of my own making, in some way, shape, or form, right? And so I I lean back into the faith as a response to my difficulty, and it does feel good, right? It come, it feels mm-hmm. good to repent of sin. It feels good to go to confession, get it off your chest. It feels good to get disciplined again, to get back on a routine, you know, to start praying regularly. Whenever you have a, a conversion experience, and this is partly by design, how God has designed us, how he works with us, there's, there's initial, uh, an initial grace of consolation in that, and that's not a bad thing. But then the difficulty, of course, obviously, is that, that that is supposed to ease off so that we can get to the business of of real growth, which means even when I'm not feeling like that, I'm, I persevere. I, perse- I persevere in those things I ought to be doing, even and especially, you know, when the difficulties come. And so we, we I think we always are, are going through these cycles of, of getting too comfortable again, you know, and having that cause problems in our life and then coming back and experiencing good feelings. But part of what the virtues do is precisely give us a better way, I think, to analyze ourselves when we do an examination of conscience, which I think is, in some sense, in some regularity, is a necessity to a Christian's life. Um, In fact, it's it's part of the virtue of prudence to do so. We'll talk about that more later, I suppose. But the the virtues give you a a better framework for looking at, looking back at your day and saying what happened and why. You know, one one simple application of this. is that oftentimes when we do an examination of conscience, we we focus a lot, for example, on the end run of our sins, sort of the, the final step, you know, where it all <laughs> bottomed out, right? And and so sometimes our our list of things that we confess and that we we think of and that we're sorry, we feel lousy about at the end of the day, tend to be this narrow list of these common endpoints, right? Mm-hmm. But what we don't often do enough of is is tracing that back and saying, well, where did where did that start, right? What led up yeah. to that? You know the virtue of prudence, um, which again is actually the the, the um, Aquinas would call it the mother and mold of all moral virtue, because the virtue of prudence is this habit of being intentional, of being decisive, of going through life, you know, look trying to look at reality and to make decisions accordingly. So it all has to start there. If you're a person who's just kind of lollygagging through life, right? Obviously, you can't make moral decisions. You have to be turning to reality, converting, and then trying to make good decisions. Okay, so. A great examination of conscience is is tracing back, you know, when I yelled at my kid, you know, or I got I got angry, or I ate too much, or whatever. Tracing that back and saying, well, yeah, but far before that, in that day, when did I step off the the prudence train? Right? When did I go from intentionality to aimlessness? When did I go from thoughtfulness to thoughtlessness? When was I being in, I was making decisions, and when did I switch over into autopilot? Mm-hmm. And sometimes that happens because, you know, something surprising happens. We're not ready for it and we don't keep our feet. And so then we're an emotional mess and then the, the day just plays out. Or, you know, maybe we're working hard and then we get on social media and, and suddenly we've gone from intentionality to autopilot. Mm-hmm. There's all kinds of ways. But the, the virtues give us a better way of tracing that back, kind of doing this this um, this diagnosis of where did, where did this begin? Because... Um, the, the 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 habits of our life again in the long run that bring us close to God and allow Him to transform us 
more come at the beginning of those trains of, of thought yeah. and action, right? When we're practicing the virtue, we think about the virtue of prudence, it's, part of it is, is simply the habit of attention. Well, that's what we're practicing and struggling with whenever we go to prayer, whenever we try to practice mental prayer. We're trying to just be in one place, doing one thing, being with one person for an amount of time. And, and it's, it's by virtue, not of our, of our immense activity, but of our attention to God, our staying in the presence of God, that he can transform us. So again, the virtues give us this way of looking back at our sins and recognizing that far before I, I did the thing, there were smaller habits and patterns that I actually need to address along with that. But those are also the, 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 the deeper habits and patterns that are bound up with my ability to be in relationship with God and grow in the more important ways. Uh, in yeah. there. And how many times do we go to confession and it's the same six things over right. and over and over again? Right. Because those are our those are the ways that we cope with the world, right? Right. That that's just that final thing that's that's familiar that that we end up at. Um I remember one time pulling out a an examination of conscience that I had not yet seen before and it was specifically looking at um how how I did with being a spouse. Hmm. And so some of the things that were brought up were, you know, have you, have you been praying for your spouse? Have you been, are you trying to get them to heaven? And things that I hadn't really thought about. And all of a sudden I had a, a lot more to confess just by changing my framework and changing my, my point of view. Um, And so then the, the sin can be the thing that we're going to confess can be five steps earlier of I, allowed stress to be the only thing in my view. And I took my eyes off Jesus Right. instead of, Oh, I did this, this habit, this bad habit again, yeah. father. And so in that way, the virtues help us not just avoid sin, mm-hmm. but grow as people. Yeah. I, I think one of the things that I, I discovered uh, last year, so I, I did a, on that podcast you mentioned, I did a, a series with my friend and colleague, Brother Rex Norris, who's a, a hermit in the Diocese of Maine. Um, and we did um, a study through the 12-step the, the 12 spirituality, the 12-step programs. Mm-hmm. And part of what got me fascinated about those is that one of the things that the virtues do in giving us this better, better way of, of looking at our life and tracing those things back is that it also... I think brings us to the reality that at the at the root of our sins, like we're just we discover in ourselves that we just have wounds, right? Mm-hmm. Like when, we, when the scripture talks about the heart as this kind of deepest place, you know, uh, this mysterious thing that we have, this heart, you know. I mean, we discover in ourselves there's a part of me, in 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 the deepest part of me, there's a part of me that loves God. And the part of me that just doesn't. And it's it's beneath my free will. I can't get at it. I can't operate on it, right? Like there's a part of me uh, more toward the surface, you might say, I suppose, you know, that I, I want to do. I mean, this is in the scripture. Like I, I do what yeah. I don't want to do, right? That's there. That my heart is just wounded. And only God can fix that. And again, the virtues actually give us a way of tracing these things back and recognizing that at the at the root of a lot of our sins are fear, you know, or or a disordered desire that I just can't iron out by myself. You know, I, I had a conversation with a, a Benedictine monk a couple of years ago now, uh, 
Father Simeon Spitz, and he was right around Lent, and he was talking about the the children of Israel going through the wilderness. And he said something that I'd never thought of, because, you know, we look at the Old Testament, we say, well, of course I would have known better, right? I wouldn't have been, <laughs> I wouldn't have been one of those stubborn people. Right. And he, he said, um, for, for the children of Israel in the Exodus, they saw the pillar of fire and the pillar of cloud. They saw the, the mighty acts of God following them victory after victory after victory. For them, it wasn't a question of whether God was capable of doing those things, but whether or not God would go with them wherever they went, right? And so looking at that in terms of the part of me that's kind of below my um, my will, there is that question of, I still have some of those those struggles that maybe they didn't of, mm. well, is, you know, we don't see the pillar of fire and the pillar of cloud and the miracles that are in front of us with um, with transubstantiation and these, they're, they're not as tangible or visible to us. Mm. But beyond that, the question is, okay, God did that then, and God has been faithful throughout all these centuries, but um, what about this time when I lose the job? What about this time when this other calamity happens and there's a family member sick? Is God going to show up for me this time? And there's almost this lack of trust that God will be who he says he is. Right. Let me let me re-clarify that. Yeah. There's not almost. There is this question of, will God be who he's promised to be? Have I understood that correctly? Mm-hmm. And can I trust in God's abiding presence? Yeah, yeah. I was listening to this um, recording of a, an essay by C.S. Lewis the other day. I can't remember the title, but he was talking about how we we moderns tend to think, uh, or, or people think about Christianity, that faith is how would he put it that faith is um that if we if we knew something then faith would be unnecessary in a technical sense that's true but the, the point he was trying to make here is that we know things all the time like our life is full of truths things that we know things that we've encountered we've experienced that we we know that we struggle to to put into practice to live out um, we have encountered God's grace. We've encountered His mercy. We've 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 experienced that in our life. It's not that we don't we don't uh, know who God is. It's that it's a it's a a practice of of choosing to put our trust in Him, right? Uh, it's it's hard to continue believing just because we we've come to know God doesn't mean it gets it's it suddenly becomes easy to keep believing. Our lives are full of things that we know to be true, but that we struggle to actually uh, live out, and so. That too, again, even though it's faith is this gift, this, this gift of grace, this gift of being in relationship with God as a theological virtue, but it too is something that we have to uh, kind of make a choice about. We have to practice it. We have to make the choice to trust God, especially when um, our emotions, you know, our, our our passions pull us in a different direction. Talking about it in, in that light, in terms of conversion. Um, I think so often we think of and, and we talk about conversion as being this event, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, that person converted and now they're a Catholic. Uh, and you, of course, working with the Journey Home, see that all the time. Yeah. Um, but the idea that I have to convert every day mm-hmm. and and I have to progress every day and that God is calling me to new places every day and that the journey 
doesn't end at conversion. That journey home, as the show is named, continues until the day that we are in our in our final home. Yeah. Uh, and, and that's something I think that the virtues offer us that we don't often pay attention to is that we can't live on autopilot, right? right? We can't just go about today the same way that we went about yesterday because God is looking to meet us in people every single day and yeah. he's looking to call us beyond our own proclivities every yeah. single day. Yeah, three three points there come to mind. Okay, so number number one, I mentioned earlier in connection to prudence, which is my favorite of the virtues, um, conversion uh, as a turning to reality. Conversion means a turning, right? A turning a turning to um, one of the well, an aspect of what prudence is, but also then how we have to constantly be practicing it every day is that we always we always would prefer as humans to turn away from reality. Right. Whenever it gets tough, whenever it doesn't fit us, whenever it stretches us a little bit, we're always um, wanting to, to to drift away into unreality rather than facing what's what's true and what's real and what's in front of us. Um, and we'll and we'll do that even if we're just not working at it. Right. We can't maintain it. It's something we have to be growing in or we're losing ground. Either I'm 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 working on on focusing and and, and being in the presence of God and being attentive, or that's just deteriorating and it's deteriorating a lot faster in our modern world where we have you know all the distraction so that, that's uh, point number one uh, prudence is the the on the human level it's the portal to the practice of all the other virtues and it begins with this 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 practice that we have to be just making part of the the fabric of our lives of a, of a turning back to reality you know so when we get up in the morning and we go to the scriptures to get back to reality when we sit in the presence of God, and let our thoughts fade away so we can just listen to him. Or when we do an examination of conscience and look at our day, you know, or when we make a plan, you know, for what we're going to do this day or this week, which involves actually looking at the reality of our lives and what is expected of us and what God's calling us to. All these are ways that we're turning, they're, they're all ways of turning from whatever we'd prefer to be focusing on to what's what's true and real and, and given by God. So number two, um, Again, I think prudence flowing into these other moral virtues, they get they help us to recognize too that in our our ordinary life, we're constantly missing opportunities that God is sending to us to to grow. And when we think of like, Lord, I, I want to be who you call called me to be. I want to be a saint. I want to be holy. But sometimes we're waiting around for like the big moments, you know, the big loud moments, or I need to go out there in the world to do something for God. Um, but the reality that the virtues show us is that, again, because this decisiveness or indecisiveness, this this intentionality or autopilot is is the, the, the starting point of virtue, all, all throughout my day is the question of whether I'm taking those opportunities. We're going to get to the third point right after this. Uh, we're talking <laughs> sure. today with John Mark Grodi. He's the new host of The Journey Home on EWTN. He's also the executive director of the Coming Home Network, chnetwork.org. Uh, we're talking about our journey toward the virtues. So come be a part of the ongoing conversation on social media, facebook.com slash step outside the walls. On Twitter, the handle's at Outside the Walls. And we'll be back right after this. You're listening to Outside the Walls.
Welcome back to Outside the Walls as we explore the implications of our belief on our daily life. I'm your host, TL. We're talking today with John Mark Grodi. He is the executive director of the Coming Home Network, chnetwork.org, and the new host of The Journey Home on EWTN. John Mark, so glad to have you here today. Glad to be here, TL. So we're talking about the virtues and our journey. Uh, see how we did that? Mm-hmm, our journey mm-hmm. towards <laughs> the virtues. Um, and right at the uh, at the end of the last segment, we were talking about three things. I think you kind of maybe got cut off halfway through <laughs> point number two. Yeah. Let's let's pick pick that back up. What are these sure. these three points that you had in mind? Yeah. So as a quick recap, I, I mean, and I was responding to something you said, but you just made me think think of of points about uh, virtue, how they change the way we see our life and our opportunities, mm-hmm. you know, uh, and we were talking about conversion too. So prudence, again, it involves as a virtue, this constant, ha- this growing habit that we just have to work into our lives of always turning back to reality because we're always drifting off into unreality. And so through our, all sorts of, of our, our habits that the, the church even gives us, the examination of conscience, confession, we're turning back to reality. And so the number two is that then as we turn to reality, we begin to, to recognize uh, so many opportunities we're missing every day to be virtuous, to, to say yes to God. Uh, and what we, I think we also realize corollarily is that um, whenever we're not saying a yes to God, again, we're, we're just going on autopilot through life. We're just letting our passions, our whims, or other people decide what we're doing, what we're thinking about, how we're feeling. Well, those may be very venial offenses, but those are still imperfections in us that lead mm-hmm. to our drifting away from God, our, our inability to say yes to him, our inability to take decisive action, to follow him, to do the good that he's put in front of us. So as we, as we convert, as we turn to reality, we make more of a habit of that. We start to realize, oh, I was waiting around for some big, you know, big sign in the sky, some, something big, some big moral uh, movement in my life. But actually, I'm, I've, you know, before I go to breakfast in the morning, I've missed a, a hundred little opportunities. Um, and then the third point was I, using the example of of courage and um, temperance. It's, it's helpful, I think, to think of those two virtues together. Courage is the uh, Peeper puts it the willingness to die in battle for the good, mm-hmm. you know. But we know what courage is, right? It's that to, I'm I, uh, I'm going to do the hard right thing because it's right, even though it's hard, right? So that's that's on the one pole that deals with fear, right? When I when I to do the good involves some intimidation, some fear, some um, insecurity. You know, that's where courage is involved. That's what we're 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 acting in there. On the other hand, when doing the good uh, is threatened by inside of me my desires that are disordered or disproportionate, then temperance is the virtue that involves putting order in there. And again, one a. a I don't remember what made me think of the point, but it, it's interesting to note that on those two virtues, your path of virtue, TL, in, in courage and intemperance are completely unique to you. Mm-hmm. Because in your character, your personality, the particular desires that are strong in you, you know, or that are ordered, disordered, disproportionate, like that's a path that you have to walk in your life. That you have to bring those those desires into order, so they can be subordinated to the good of Christ. And so, too, your fears and my fears are completely different. You know what? What for you? Like you know, if I have a 
a phone call I have to make in the afternoon. I spend the whole day just like, oh, gosh, I can't make that phone call this afternoon, right? <laughs> Whereas for some, another person, that might be, you know, uh, no, uh, it might be a piece of cake for them. So the point is that every person, uh, the virtues help them recognize that you have a particular path of being of inviting Christ to heal you, saying, I want to be healed of some of these wounds, but also I want to take the steps you put in front of me to confront my fears and to bring order into my desires so that, again, I, I'm ultimately I'm more available to your grace and to the good that you yeah. want to set me to. So you've, you've kind of brushed up against this a couple of times. I want to be a little bit more explicit. Um, this question of the examination of conscience, because a lot of times we look at the examination of conscience as this thing that I need to do in order to go to confession. I got to do that for, you know, it's been, it's been a month. So I need to sit down and do my examination of conscience, which are these 10 questions that I go over every single time that I pulled off the USCCB website or somewhere else. Uh, And that's going to be my examination of conscience. But the kind of, of examine that you're alluding to, that help us grow in the virtues is more akin to the daily examine that mm. we get from St. Ignatius, right? That this, right. when I wake up in the morning, I'm going to examine my day and that yeah. I'm going to do a midday examine where I'm going to take stock of where I am. And at the end of the day, then I'm going to do my nightly examine where I'm going to look at my life and say, where, did, what are the consolations that I, mm-hmm. I had today? What are the desolations that I experienced today? Where did I fall short today? Yeah. Um, and so just to be explicit, if I'm understanding you correctly, you're not talking about the once a month examination. You're talking about the three times a day check-in. I think it's more related to that, although I think it, it does bear on both. So if, if we think about a traditional examination of conscience, you know, with a list of, you know, responsibilities, the Ten Commandments or things like that, what that's focusing uh, uh, more explicitly on is the virtue of justice, right? Justice is the most objective of the virtues because what justice is, the way I like to describe it, is justice is the virtue that, so if, if prudence is turning to reality, justice concerns the, that most um, the most important part of, of reality, which is that we are persons in relationship with other persons, right? I'm a person in relation to the divine person, my God, my creator, uh, in relation to my wife, in relation to my children, in relation to my coworkers and my employees. Um, those relationships are real, they're objective. They 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 set obligations upon me. I don't create them; they're they're simply real. I discover them, or I, I enter into them, but they're real. So justice involves doing what is right in regard to those relationships. You know, who is God? Who am I? And thus, what do I owe God? Who is my wife? And who am I? What's our relationship? And thus, what what do I owe her? What is what is right to do in regards to her? So when we think about the traditional examination of conscience, we're, we're sort of doing the checklist there. Okay, here's, here's God, and then my spouse, and then my children, and then my work. In all these areas, either I've, again, I've done or I've not done what I'm supposed to do. And that's the most objective thing. But then around that, again, once we've maybe checked off that list, you know, here are the ways I, I didn't fulfill my responsibilities, or I did. But then again, we, 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 we dig a little deeper and we recognize, okay, so when I, when I didn't do that, what was at the base of that? What happened? What led up to that? You know, is it is it um, is it fear in my life? You know, that led to this string of events and feelings and patterns and emotions that led to me not doing the thing that I know I'm supposed to do, mm-hmm. and that's helpful too because you know you get down deep enough and you recognize that there's a distinction between sin and then just the wounds we carry around. There is a distinction, but ultimately Christ is the healer of both. 
We need to bring both of them to him. If if I'm a person that's plagued by fear, well, that's probably going to involve me facing some fears and taking some some steps. But ultimately, like I need Christ to to heal that in me, to work on that in me, to give me the grace. And the more that I I discover through that analysis, recognizing my fears or my disordered desires or the ways that I I am I am or am not able to stay focused, intentional during the day, I'm able to go to Christ with a, a with a much more realistic, a much more real request. Like Lord, I can see now my brokenness in greater magnification. I can see where these wounds that I carry around, and I can see now how um, while it doesn't take away the 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 guilt in my sin, I can see now how these lock me in these patterns, these sinful patterns in my life. So I'm able to go again on a on a daily basis. I'm able to understand and think about my day, and maybe get back on track quicker when I've noticed. I'm, I'm noticing now. Oh, I've stepped off. Of, of prudence. I've, I'm kind of just wandering through my day. I need to get back on track. I need to step back and, and maybe take a moment for prayer. Mm-hmm. On a daily basis, I think it gives us a better way of thinking about our life and looking at the patterns uh, and approaching God. But then also when we do that, you know, that more periodic examination of conscience to prepare for confession, we're able to bring, yes, our sins, the ways that we didn't fulfill what we were supposed to do or that we did uh, things that were wrong, we're also able to bring a kind of our wounds to Christ in that, the things that, that are underneath and behind all those sins, um, so that we're, we're more availed to the, the, the grace of the sacrament. Yeah. I want to do a little bit of a pivot here, but before we yeah. do, um, you mentioned Joseph Pieper. Yeah. And you mentioned that he's got the best book on the virtues according to you. Uh, for those who don't have the, the the video right in front of them, what is the name <laughs> of that book? It's just called the Four Cardinal Virtues, and I think it's I I think they were at one point different essays, and they're they're brought together mm-hmm. uh, in this book. But it's and who's uh, the publisher of that edition? Oh goodness, Notre Dame Press. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Now let's let's turn because you okay. have the privilege now recently. Of begin, of course, you've been the executive director of the Coming Home Network for for quite some time, um, but now you also have the privilege of being the host of the Journey Home, and you're watching people on various parts of their journey, yeah. which everything that you've mentioned up until now of of combating fear and not sure, being unsure of whether God's going to be there, and how am I going to to um, to survive this next turn of events? All of it's kind of laid bare. Yeah. Week to week as different people are sharing their own individual journeys through virtue to the Catholic faith. What are you looking forward to in your tenure now as the host of the Journey Home on EWTN? Yeah. You know, the other day I was I was um I was on Jim and Joy's show on EWTN and they were asking some of these questions and I it 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 came back to me. I, I sort of was remembering more of my childhood. Um and there was a time in my I think my teen years, I think for a while in my life, um, I I was really impressed by my dad's story and his faith. That has a big impact on me. And the work, I always thought it was it was really neat. And I was involved with it in certain ways. But I, I had this assumption for a long time that it, I would never uh, ultimately have a great interest in my father's work. Because in my young mind, I was hearing the apologetics. I was hearing the apologetic arguments and seeing that. And thinking that 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 really that that's the kind of the biggest that's the biggest piece of this pie that's that's what this really comes down to is apologetic arguments. But part of my own faith journey and then my intellectual journey has been and now you know my journey as 
working with my father in this network is recognize that's a that's a piece of it for some people or at a certain stage of a person's journey but that's not the big picture of their story of their spiritual right. journey you know at some point they may need again they might need a, a sparring partner or they or they have you know some doctrines to kind of iron out but that's not the big thing that's going on what's going on is they're, they're wanting to follow christ and you know in the context of this discussion of the virtues they're they're struggling with these virtues i mean prudence right they're 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 wanting to be people of reality it's it's easy just to stay where you're at you yep. know just to stay in your comfortable beliefs but you get start to get a, a niggling sense that there might be something more and then you have to have a choice to make do am i going to turn and face to that reality and try to see where it leads see if there's more that god's calling me to i mean that that's that's prudence and courage right there right and what happens if I actually do start down this path and then there's no turning back and everything crashes in around me and now my job is gone. And the, right. you know, there's, there's so many things that are, that are part of that journey that yeah. have absolutely nothing to do with the right thoughts, the right. right doctrine and everything to do with how am I going to, to live in this new reality? Right. And that, that's the big picture here that every, every person is called to be holy, to follow Christ, to, uh, to continually convert to him throughout their life. Um, and, you know, for the people that we work with, you know, uh, Protestant pastors and lay people who are thinking about becoming Catholic, again, what's so exciting to me about them is that they already know Christ. I mean, they are, you know, so many of these people are just, they're passionate. They love Christ. They love his scriptures. But what's then happened to them is, is God, by his grace, has awakened them to, there might be more here. I want to give you more. Um mm -hmm. And so then they, they, the question is, are they going to follow that through to its finish? You know, are they going to, uh, to, to let go and, and follow the journey through? And so when we hear one of their stories, you know, we're hearing the narrative of, of the ups and downs of a person on this, this perilous journey with God. And again, we're, we're all on that. That's something I, I often, I, I've tried to emphasize to my Catholic audience members that they too have a story. We've had Catholics, you know, write in at times and say, oh, I love these stories so much. These converts are so neat. I almost wish I was a convert that I had a story like them, you know? <laughs> and, you know, I mean, bless them. I, I get it. Right. Like, but yeah. you have to recognize that we're all in a story. Yeah. You know, that God has done something in your life. And if you haven't discovered that story, if you can't share it with another person, you've got some digging to do. You need to look, you need to find that thread of what is God doing in my life? What has he done? What is he doing? What is he calling me on to next? You need to, you need to step into that. That's part of this, again, this virtue of prudence. Am I going to step onto that train of living my life in God's context? You know, expecting him, that he's the author of this. He's the major player here. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm in his ballpark. I'm in his game. And so am I going to live my life uh, in that, in that light, in that context? Uh, and then you you do have a story and you need to discover it so that you can tell it to your kids and to the people around you. That's part of the Christian life. Yeah. I, I'm quite interested because I've never, I've never from my side thought of the Coming Home Network as being apologetic in nature. Right. I've always seen the Coming Home <laughs> Network as being the, the kind of the net that catches you after you've been, yeah. <laughs> after you've yeah. gone through the apologetics. Right. Um, that just a, a, a network of people who have, been on that journey before yeah who experienced it who know it who can come and accompany you yeah that and that's what it is i mean there's always a little bit of apologetic stuff here and there again as people have those questions but but we're not there to debate people we're, we're there if, if they're on that journey then certainly we're there to help them find their resources and, and answer their questions but we're also there to pray with them and for them 
to counsel them, to encourage them, to help form them spiritually on their journey. You know, because again, it would be very easy to get sort of caught up in merely the intellectual journey of the apologetics and forget about why you're doing this in the first place. It's because you know Christ and he's active in your life and you've you've come to to know him in prayer and and um you can't lose that or 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 take the that can't be diminished as you sort of think your way into the catholic church it has to be a fulfillment of that relationship you know you have to discover the uh you have to be moving toward the the fulfillment the the greater the more in the catholic church for that but that's what it's about it's about christ uh, who has changed your life he's called you home uh he has a plan for your life uh, he loves you and that you're going to continue in that relationship, growing in that relationship with him. Yeah. We've been talking today with John Mark Grodi, the executive director of the Coming Home Network, chnetwork.org, also now the host of The Journey Home on EWTN. You can catch that on Monday nights. John Mark, thank you for being with us today. Thanks, DL. If you missed any part of my conversation with John Mark Grodi, or you want to go back and listen to it again, or share it with your friends on social media, have no fear. All of our episodes are archived over at OutsideTheWalls.com. You can listen to today's episode, go back and listen to the other episodes where John Mark has joined me before. Go and listen to the episodes that we've had with Marcus Grodi, where he's joined us on air before, or just look through the guest list and see what strikes your fancy. And if you can't get enough, well, I've got good news. There's always more. Uh, Each and every week, we record an extra segment with our guests to dive a little bit deeper into the topic, and we make those available to all of those who support the show through Patreon. There at the OutsideTheWalls.com website, up in the menu bar, you can see the the little link that says Patreon. Just click that link. Look around and see if that's something that you would like to be a part of. Now, let's go ahead and turn our attention to our readings from Scripture and church history. That's the sound of our Verbum Library launching up. Verbum helps you read Scripture in light of church teaching by putting the magisterium at your fingertips, linking Scripture to the catechism, fathers and doctors of the church, magisterial documents, biblical commentaries, and so much more. You can learn more at Verbum.com. Our reading from Scripture today comes from Philippians. As I'm thinking about the virtues and thinking about uh, what it means to be mindful all the time uh, of how we're living our life, this passage sprung to my mind. This comes from Philippians 4, and Paul tells the people of Philippi, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, Whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. That reading again comes from the letter of St. Paul to the Philippians, chapter 4. And there's so much here. This is just, there's a couple of passages throughout the letters of Paul 
where if you could just summarize his message of what it means to live the Christian life, they could be summarized in, in these kind of little nuggets. And Philippians 4 is one of those. Uh, Colossians 3 is another, where he just kind of lays out the, the pure distilled message that he's trying to get across. And as we think about the virtues, I think that this sums it up. And I've been talking to my children about this passage of Scripture specifically as I take them and drop them off at school. On the way to school, we always have a, a conversation. And this one comes up over and over again because it matters where we put our attention. And even as we're trying to practice the virtues, it matters where we put our attention, being intentional about thinking about our day and looking at our relationship with God and thinking about those things that are right and just. This doesn't mean that we turn our eyes away from injustices in the world. This is not a Pollyanna kind of view, oh, just ignore the bad things and think on the good things. Rather, he's saying, make sure that your perspective is proper. Because he does say, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, think on these things. Put our our frame of reference starting from these places. And I think that that in some ways really kind of sums up what we've been talking about today as we use the framework of the virtues to help us understand all of the other events going on in our lives. Our reading from church history today comes from St. Augustine as he presents this work, The Catholic and Manichaean Ways of Life, as he shows a comparison between Catholicism, which he has come to be a part of through conversion, and the, his former way of life, Manichaeism, which was a, a, a sect, a heresy. And so here he is extolling to us what he has found in Catholicism, specifically through the life of virtue. And he says, in treating of human life and morality, I do not think it necessary to inquire further than this concerning the supreme good to which all else must be referred. We have shown both by reason to the extent that this is possible and by divine authority, which goes beyond reason, that the supreme good is nothing other than God himself. For what can be a greater good for man than the possession of that in which he finds perfect happiness? And this good is God alone, to whom we can adhere only by affection, love, and esteem. If virtue leads us to a happy life, then I would not define virtue in any other way than as the perfect love of God. For in speaking of virtue as fourfold, one refers, as I understand it, to the various dispositions of love itself. Therefore, these four virtues— would that their efficacy were present in all souls as their names are on our lips, I would not hesitate to define as follows. Temperance is love giving itself wholeheartedly to that which is loved. Fortitude is love enduring all things willingly for the sake of that which is loved. Justice is love serving alone that which is loved and thus ruling rightly. And prudence is love choosing wisely between that which helps it and that which hinders it. Now, since this love, as I have said, is not love of things in general, but rather love of God, that is, of the supreme good, the supreme wisdom, and the supreme harmony, we can divine the virtues thus. Temperance is love preserving itself whole and unblemished for God. 
Fortitude is love, enduring all things willingly for the sake of God. Justice is love, serving God alone, and therefore ruling well those things subject to men. And prudence is love, discriminating rightly between those things which aid it in reaching God and those things which might hinder it. What more need be said about the moral life? For if God is the supreme good of man, which you cannot deny— It most assuredly follows, since to seek the supreme good is to live rightly, that to live rightly is nothing other than to love God with one's whole heart, with one's whole soul, with one's whole mind. This means that our love for him must be preserved whole and unblemished, which is the work of temperance, that it must not give way before misfortune, which is the work of fortitude, that it must serve no one but him which is the work of justice. And finally, that it be vigilant in its discernment of things so as not to be undermined gradually by trickery or deceit. And this is the work of prudence. Such love is the one human perfection by which alone man can come to enjoy the purity of truth. That reading again comes from St. Augustine, The Catholic and Manichaean Ways of Life. That specific translation comes from the Catholic University of America, Fathers of the Church series. And here, again, uh, as we're looking at the virtues, St. Augustine makes it very simple for us. He takes it down in the same way that Jesus does and says, uh, here are the two greatest commandments, right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. And of course, as you get further into that reading, he gets to that second part, the love your neighbor as yourself. Uh, And Jesus, what Jesus says there is he says, all the law and the prophets, everything that's in the whole Bible, all the law and the prophets are summed up in these two commands. And so too, as Augustine is helping us to understand the virtues, he's looking at us and, and letting us know that it's not as difficult as we would make it seem that all of the virtues can be summed up in our relationship to God and our relationship to the beloved. But it takes a true love of other, a true love of God that doesn't hang on or have uh, affection to the way we've always done it, right? These virtues are willing to give up everything for the sake of pursuing truth and pursuing the beloved. And so they're there is an honesty that comes with the virtues of sitting down and saying, do I love God enough to let go of my preconceptions? Do I love God enough to let go of my habits? Do I love God enough um, that I can fix my eyes on what is true and good and, and right and just that which is God himself and let go of these other visions or other opinions so that I can live a life completely consumed by the presence of God, by that relationship of God. What John would say, to abide in him as he abides in us. That's all the time we have for today. Thank you so much for tuning in. Today's show is brought to you by Lexi and by all of those who support the show through Patreon. Go to OutsideTheWalls.com, click that Patreon link and join their numbers. Come and be a part of the ongoing conversation at Facebook.com slash Step Outside the Walls. On Twitter, the handle's at Outside the Walls. And until next week, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.